everything that we um, have to do with as far as God is concerned is a matter of using our faith. Not really our faith, but the faith of the Son of God. So it is a faith that is imparted and imputed to us so that we can invite the kingdom into our lives. What you want to do is get God's results in everything that you do. And so you have to use his methods to do that. Faith takes learning. You've got to commit yourself to learn about the things of God. I know many times we're told, oh, just get saved. Salvation is everything. Well, everything of God is everything. You know, I mean, salvation is the first step in opening the door. The born-again experience is your first um, entry into covenant with God. And a covenant is is something that has to be lived out. It's not like um, an automatic thing that God just, you know, when you cry out, he rescues you and it's, you know, a happily ever after. There is, is um, I guess you could say God has respect for us as to who we are and how we're created. And so he doesn't just dump stuff in our lives, nor does he uh, force us to do anything. Uh, God knows us better than to apply those methods. Amen. And he respects how he created us. And so he will let you know that it don't work like that. And he will begin to teach you how it does work. And it works by faith. There are certain things that God wants us to do. By faith, trusting that he can straighten everything out in between and give us a good outcome. So when you begin to to apply the laws of faith or employ the laws of faith, you expect a good outcome. And that's one of the ways that you know your faith is active. Because faith always expects a good outcome and or it expects an outcome of peace if that outcome doesn't look right to you at first. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, when God first begins to teach us his ways uh, where we would have uh, been justified in ignoring people that we felt didn't treat us right, now you got to go to them. And you got to humble yourself and make things right for the sake of your relationship with God and for the sake of your well-being to live in covenant with God. You can't live peacefully with God and you dislike his kids. You know, you just can't do it. And so when you start seeing that that things don't go well until you get those things straightened out, then you start living a life of, of walking in that continually and you see the blessing and the benefit of it. This is what we're supposed to learn, folks. We're supposed to learn God's way is the best way because he's not a man that he should lie. He's not lying to us. And so <clears throat> when we love one another as we love him and we seek to be at peace with all men, when we honor one another and lift one another up and uh, you know, you can you can ignore people's wrongdoing. We do it all the time. If somebody you really like and you really think is worthwhile, you'll do anything to get along with them. So we all know how that works. And so if we can forgive one another, that's the basis of what <clears throat> is right before God. 
at living in a place of continual forgiveness no matter who it is that wronged you and what what went wrong and so we are going to be tested on these principles over and over again through life you know i used to say oh i'm glad i got that you know if i get a prayer answer but i'm glad i got that and i can go back to being and then i thought to myself i said wait a minute what am i saying go back to being what you know what i'm saying a nothing and a nobody that's where god found me i don't know where he found y'all but that's where he found me and so i made up my mind i wasn't going to go back but going forward presents somewhat of an uncertainty that's where faith takes over see everybody is a little bit uncertain about the decisions they make about the the choices that they make all of that stuff and so faith comes in to take over and give you a certainty about what it is that you're doing if you are not sure about a decision you have to make go into the word and find an answer for that problem that you're facing and begin to meditate on that until you really really believe it huh? what we have running around churches is a people a lot of people that that give a head nod to things you know Sometimes the loudest amen comes from the shallowest spirit. You got me? Because we all know how to play the game. You, know, you come in church and you make sure everybody thinks you're spiritual or thinks whatever, whatever, whatever uh, role you're playing. You know, we constantly reinvent ourselves. Huh? So whatever role you're playing now, you know, people go go on YouTube and hear teaching and you want to tell everybody about it, whether you've got a grasp on it or not. You know, we always play in them roles. Everybody wants to be knowledgeable, sophisticated, full of faith. This is a woman of paste and flour. <laughs> we say faith and power. And then sometimes you feel like paste and flour. You know what I'm saying? So, but, but God then will, will pull us into his embrace. Amen. Pull us into his love. Only thing, only reason people pretend and all that is they don't like who they are. If you like who you are, you'd be yourself. In God. <laughs> you know, warts and all. Huh? And so it, it's, it's just, just that way. But we are learning faith. Faith will pull you out of every difficulty you ever get into. So will love. Even if you don't believe you can love your way into any good situation God has for you. Amen. He teaches us how to love as we walk with him. People come to God and bad marriage, no marriage, separations of all kinds and God teaches you how to love your way into reconciliation with all men amen that to learn how to humble yourself to God's hand and trust him amen I remember many years ago my I came to the Lord because my husband wanted a divorce we didn't get one God was able to reconcile our marriage <laughs> Jan, the loudest amen in here is Jan <laughs> She didn't have, she was my uh, police force, my restrainer. Every time I wanted to kill him, I called Jan. And uh, she walked with me through some really difficult times. 
but you know I was immature in the ways of God and God was trying to teach me how to love and teach me that no matter what a person did to hurt you you had to humble yourself forgive and sow seeds of love into that the reason people don't get along is that they're bankrupt their relationship is bankrupt everybody's been withdrawing and nobody's been depositing anything so his kids have stuff to deposit you're the only one with something to deposit sometimes in situations amen so that's why god expects so much of us because we've been given so much and we're not to keep it bottled up and you know save it for a rainy day kind of thing what you saving it for bless somebody encourage somebody offer peace to somebody who has been distant from you amen and it works every time the bible says love never fails you know some other things all the other the fruit of the spirit are not as strong as love love has the power over all of it even faith amen there are people who sow seeds of love and can ask god for something and get it the same day and they don't study faith you understand what i'm saying they're obedient to god so obedience to god is its own reward and its own blessing but he says to study to show yourself approved to him so that he can approve of how you spend your time he can approve of your life he can approve and you can prove your love for him through the way that you live so we study the word so that when we're tested we can be proven faithful that's pretty much how it shakes out so we talked yesterday about the fact that the patriarchs in the bible the ones that god called forth in the early years of his covenant were always tested they were tested over and over and over again and <clears throat> we talked about abraham and how he when he god gave him the promise he did like most of us do we hear something from god and god says he's going to give it to you he says i'm going to give you this and then we run out immediately and try to get it for ourselves cuz we think what all we need is god's green light to go get greedy or go get stuff or go have stuff and see faith is not a green light faith is a spirit and spirit life has to be developed and it has to be tested and proven that it can hold your life up abraham had to have a faith that would bless his life and many generations after him and faith is like that it's just not to serve you in your personal needs all the time but it's to establish a foundation so that many generations after you can live under the umbrella of your faith and because it's not your faith anyway it's the faith of the son of god and you just have his permission to use it you can't claim ownership of it now you can possess it but you don't own it because it still has to be honored by god before it can bring in the required result or the desired result that you have <clears throat> so in genesis chapter 18 God had promised this to Abraham many times 
by this time Abraham has uh, has had a son Isaac and and uh, uh, we all know how not Isaac but Ishmael we all know how Ishmael was born God told Abraham one day when Abraham was about 70 70 75 years old that he was going to have as many descendants as the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky and so Abraham and Sarah started thinking about this. Now Sarah had always been barren. She'd never born any children. And so God comes to them in the state of childlessness and promises them as many children, more than they ever thought, imagined they could have in life. Abraham and Sarah do what we do. They get nervous waiting. And getting nervous waiting is always going to be a problem for us unless we learn how to live in a daily distribution of faith to keep us going. And so you're going to have to learn how to work out relationship with God so that you have a daily distribution of faith to keep you in joy, to keep you in anticipation, to keep you encouraged, to keep you all of these things. But while Abraham and Sarah were waiting and Sarah knows that she's never had kids, they lose faith in what God told them he would do and they decide they're going to help God out. They did what all people around them do that they see do and that they lived around heathen people. And many times uh, men would have children by the wife and by the female servants because that was a common thing when people owned servants or own slaves they treated them just like family and like heirs many times because if something happened to them or they acquired more property the more children you have the more help you have to keep your life together so that was a common way that people thought and this was long before God gave them the ten commandments and his law and people just lived by their wits. So Abraham uh, and his and Hagar's maid, uh, Hagar, Sarah's maid, have this child Ishmael. And so Abraham's going all about his business, thinking that he's done God's will. You ever been like that? <laughs> tell the truth. There was a song. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Where you at, Chuck? Ah, yeah, she always leaves me hanging out here. Gigi got to come in and help me in a minute, but anyway. Well, anyway, it'll come to me. Or it won't. Most of y'all praying it won't, so I'll just keep it moving here. So anyway, God comes to them later on and explains to them that they missed it. How many of you know... God will let you do some things and let you think you're enjoying life, but you miss it. And he'll just let you keep coming until he knows the time is right to get it straightened out. Wow. Amen. Amen. Sometimes you've been enjoying stuff he never intended for you to have. He lets you have them anyway. Amen. So is it God, I'm sorry, Genesis 18, God appeared, verse 1, to him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes, and behold, three men stood by him. Now, Bible scholars call this a theophany. It's a picture of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
When he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Now there was a saying custom in the, back in the day that you were to entertain strangers because sometimes they were angels unawares. It was common for people to invite strangers in. And he invites them, he brings water for them and he affects a morsel of bread. And Abraham hastened, verse 6, to the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready three measures of meal and some cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, got a calf. He's laying out the, the ready for them. And Abraham ran to the herd. It says he took butter and milk and a calf, which he had dressed, set it before them. And, and they stood under the tree and they did eat. And he said to them, uh, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he says, I will certainly return unto you according to the time of life. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So she was past menopause on top of it and had always been barren. Amen. So you got trouble upon trouble upon trouble upon mountain upon mountain upon impossibility on top of impossibility. And so, therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, within herself, within herself. She says, after I'm old, shall I have pleasure or have joy of having children, my Lord being old also? In other words, we too old for kids. Who going to take care of them? It ain't going to be fun. See, this is why people hasten to get things out of season. Because they always think at some point, I ain't going to even want this no more after a while. When really, you're not even ready for it, faith-wise. See, the most important thing is that you receive it on time in God's time for you. Faith-wise, you're not able to handle it. Energy-wise, you're not able to handle it. Uh, Abraham was 70 when God first met him, so he too old then. But he went ahead and believed God. That's the one thing that always got him over. Whenever God appeared to Abraham, he believed him, and God counted it to him as righteousness because people just didn't believe God anymore. And so she laughed and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I surely bear a child when I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And he said, at the time appointed. In other words, y'all out of time. You was out of time when I met you. You still out of time. You got in a hurry when you was out of time anyway and you still out of time. So whatever you felt was the hindrance or the problem when God first promised you something, it's going to always be there until God moves it. Amen. You can't hurry it up and make it happen any faster than God has it planned for you. Because he knows your end at the beginning. He knows what you're ready for. He knows what you're not ready for. He knows what you're lying about, what you're perpetrating on. He knows all that stuff. So he has to make a people ready for what he has for them. And so he tells them, is anything too hard for the Lord? Because this is the problem. It was the age factor. Hmm? 
How many young people in their, at 20 or 21 or 25 feel they're too old for certain things? It's a lie the devil puts in your head all the time. Or you can put things off while you're young and think, oh, I'll do this. I'm going to have fun while I'm young. And then all of a sudden age hits you one day. And it was never a problem before. So it's got to be a lie from hell that he uses against people to get you in a hurry for things. And then you, when you get older, you're up in your 70s and 80s and you look like your life is a train wreck from beginning to end. You look back and you say, man, I could have waited to do that. I could have waited to do that. I could have waited to do that. And I could have waited to do that. Well, I'm, I'm among people that never make mistakes. So. <laughs> So God says, I set the time for things, pretty much. So he sets Abraham in a place where he has to do ministry, has to intercede for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so in the meantime, God has Abraham busy with other things. These other things are important. Just as important as your promise that you're waiting on is so important to you, the other things are important. The fact that Abraham was able to distract himself from his home situation and intercede for innocent people on God's behalf did something inside of him with his faith. See, that little story about Sodom and Gomorrah isn't interspersed in there for no reason. It's interspersed in there to get you to understand that if God is going to bring life to you, you have to be willing to bring life to somebody else. So Abraham asked God if he would spare that city for the sake of first 50 righteous people, 20, then 10. When it went down, in the deal, at the end of the deal, God had to destroy because there weren't ten righteous people there. Now, it's estimated there may have been ten people in Lot's household. But most of them liked what they saw and what they did in that wicked town. Amen? Remember Lot's wife? The one in the Pride March? Huh? God set her free to come and live for him and she liked it so much back there in Sodom that she turned around to give one last glance huh? and turned into a pillar of salt. So God had to destroy that city because there weren't ten righteous people there. And so Abraham then was able to elevate himself in God's eyes he began to honor Abraham he began to make his name great he says shall I hide from Abraham what I plan to do seeing as how I'm going to make him a great nation when God starts revealing secrets to you that's an increase in your faith that's an increase in your status in his kingdom that's an increase for you all the way around and he did not have that when God promised just just a few uh, one chapter back promised a child to him and Sarah 
So when God says is anything too hard for God, he has to set about to prove to us that is not. That God will hearken to our prayer. That God will listen to our confession. That God will honor our faith. And so he moves Abraham from a man who's nervous about not getting what God has for him to a man who's more established in his faith. So these things, these tests that God puts us through are 100% necessary. Don't ever think you're going through something and there's no purpose for it. How come I got to wait and all this? Well, you got to wait to get that stuff out of you that hates waiting. You got me? Because God can't, can't bless people who can't wait on him, can't serve him, and can't establish a kingdom purpose in their waiting. See, it's hard when you want something bad to think about somebody else's needs. But we all do it. We don't do it automatically. We got to be trained to do it. And some of us still can't do it that well. We just barely, you know, prayer partner waiting on the other end of the phone, snoring while we just skipping through the. Yeah. I'll go over to the Y. Y M C. Whatever. I go preach over in the yard at the Y. But you know what I mean. But yet we expect great things from God. Uh We do. You keep playing around with your faith and pretty soon it won't work for you so well. You have to respect your faith. You have to honor what God has put in you. You got to use that faith according under the direction of God and under the direction of the Holy Spirit. If he tells you to pray twice a week, you have to pray twice a week. You understand what I'm saying? He's got a plan for your life and it requires you put in some spiritual energy. And that's a safeguard for you. At least you don't have to pray by yourself. If you think prayer, prayer is so miserable, you got some company with you. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody else on the other end of the line. Watch what you let slide. Because, honey, we all need God. You might be doing okay this year, but you know next year is coming. Next season's coming. That's true. That's true. So your faith is your insurance for a good result all the time. God gives us these, these assignments so that we can build our faith, exercise our faith. See, it's easy to... Extend your faith into somebody else's life to help them because you're not risking anything. Your life ain't in danger. Abraham lived where he lived. He didn't live in Sodom and Gomorrah. So he was safe where he lived. But God needed somebody who lived in a safe, holy atmosphere to pray for somebody who didn't. And so that's how we develop our faith is through assignment of God. Not, well, I pray for people. No, you don't. You gotta pray on assignment. You can't just pray how you want to pray. Good. Amen. Huh? When did God die and leave you in charge? Ooh, or don't pray when you don't want to pray. <laughs> See, n- number one, that faith don't belong to you. You gotta remember that. That is not your possession. 
if you were using what you had, well, we won't even guess what would happen. So God has to revisit Abraham. How many times did he visit this man with the same uh, promise? At least four or five we see in the Bible. And he hadn't got it yet. And he visits him again and hadn't got it yet. He visits him again and hadn't got it yet. But yet Abraham is referred to as the father of our faith. He's honored for the way that he responded to God every time God came to him. Most of us, if if people know that we're believing God for something and, and they ask us about it, we get mad at them. But Abraham responded with humility. He honored God, set up a covenant table for God and all of those things because he was still interested in serving God and what God had for him. And so in in chapter 21, it says the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. So God kept his word. God meant to keep his word all along. Because Abram and Sarah were the ones with doubt here and there. So in order to drive the doubt out, God has to teach them his ways. You get the doubt out of you by learning more about God. You gotta get close to God. You gotta believe God. You gotta have relations. You gotta worship Him. You gotta study your words. You gotta do all of this stuff to drive the doubt out of you so you can believe God. And so He says He was there at the set time, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son that was born whom Sarah bore to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac being eight days old as God had commanded him. And Abram was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all who hear will laugh with me. So they weren't. This wasn't a downer. You know, she's thinking, oh, I'm old and it's not going to be fun. I'm not going to enjoy this. God brought laughter with that baby. Anything you ask God for, he'll bring you enjoyment or whatever, whatever attitude you need to cultivate to enjoy the thing with it. Because he sees you're not happy the way you are. So he has to bring the promise to you, but with the promise comes the appropriate reaction to it inside of you. He called that boy laughter. And every time they spoke that name, people would laugh. But not in a way to ridicule. They laughed with joy. And they rejoiced that this child was born. It's a miracle of God. And so... Sarah says she, God has made her to laugh. Everybody who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah that they would have children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So that promise that God made, it's probably at least 17, 15 or 17 years ago, finally came, comes to pass. And the trial grew. And was weaned and Abraham made a great feast the same day Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born to Abraham, making fun of him. 
Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not inherit with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's eyes because of his son. And God said to Abraham, Don't let it be grievous in your sight because of him and because of the bondwoman. In all that Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac shall your seed be called. Now, the, the, and, and God took care of Ishmael. He made him a great nation too. Why? Because he was Abraham's seed. So God did for Ishmael what he, he could do, but he wasn't the one that was promised to him. Promise has a higher uh, significance in God's kingdom. It has a higher purpose. It has, when God promises you something, it's because it's got his heart involved in it and that makes it of a higher purpose. See, there are situations where we can't get, get it resolved real fast. And I'm telling you, often there's a, see, this is the last thing we think of being small-minded people. The last thing we think is that a child that we would have would have a high purpose in God's kingdom. Or a, a marriage that God wants to give you would have a high purpose in his kingdom. That's the last thing we think about. We're thinking about uh, the the dress and the list of guests and, and you know, where what venue, are the pictures going to look nice? I don't want nobody taking no pictures with their little, uh, with their little Samsung phone. I'm gonna get a profile. You know how that goes. We're thinking about how we feel about the natural aspect of it. You never think what God is going to do. He might have a higher purpose. You think? God uses people like that all the time. He's looking for people who will let him take control of their lives enough so that he can get his purpose done in the earth. And see, this is why we get we get what we want and then we bored. We get what we want, and we disappointed. You know, all that kind of stuff. Because we don't know how to connect what we're believing God for in a kingdom God might have in, in mind. We don't know how to connect the two. We don't know that our waiting is not in vain, not because we got something and it was wonderful, or we blew up on the internet. Just like you blow up, you can blow down. You understand? People don't know who you are three days later. Somebody else and blew up in your place. And so we're we're very reluctant to to even let our minds go into thinking that God might want to use us for a higher kingdom purpose. But it's kind of interesting, you know, uh, um, when God calls a man and his wife to something, he sees them, two of them, as one. When you're married, your husband and wife, he sees the two of you as one. So God never promised Ishmael to Isaac, even though he took, took care of Ishmael. He never had anybody else in mind but Sarah for that blessing. So that's why God could easily say, put her out. 
Because anything you add into the blessing of God will give you nothing but trouble. Whenever you take it upon yourself to do it your way, it's going to be nothing but trouble. But it's kind of interesting. When it says, you see where it says here, the thing grieved Ishmael? The root word of that, that word grieved, it was grievous to him, is the same word that we use for sickness or for, for lack of healing. So when Abraham had to let go of his illegitimate son, it brought a lack of healing to him. And God, when God said to him, don't let it be a sickness to you to get rid of this son, that word there is Rapha. In other words, it says, I will heal you from this. I will ungrieve you. Even though it's painful for you to let go of this boy, I will heal you and be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals your soul from things that you do wrong and you can't have them. See, God will remove certain things from your life because he never ordained them. It was never right. You know, people say things like, um, you know, for, for unordained situations. They'll say things like, well, that man, he got 15 kids and he don't love none of them. No, because he didn't want any of them. His heart was never tied to them. And his heart wasn't tied to their mother in love. And so that's a lot of hurdles to overcome for a, a rolling stone. And God does, does not help that. He'll help to heal that man. And see, women get mad because the baby daddy that went off and married some woman. And now they happily ever after he got kids with her. They got a nice house. They doing well. And you mad because these your hey kids. Well, God healed him from losing what God didn't ordain for him. God ordains children in a marriage. So quit being mad at these men because they don't like them kids you tried to hook them in with. Now that's just the truth. And God is not going to make him love those kids until he can tie him into your heart in marriage. And then you've got to let God work to make it work. Now does that make sense to anybody? So don't yourself involved in trying to make something that's why i always pick at y'all about these speed dial dudes y'all keeping your phone and when they don't call you back leave them alone they ain't interested you got me and when when god disconnects that he'll heal you too that's why you come to christ so you can be a whole woman now and you can be made whole But God has a lot of healing to do with us in our sexual mistakes. You got me? But he's there to heal everybody. Because you don't know what he's called that man to do. That man has seed in him that has gifts and abilities that could help God's kingdom to advance. And God's not going to tie him in into a relationship of strife that he will not tie that woman into his heart. They got to let you into their heart, sweetheart. That's got to be first. And you're not in his heart just because he calls you back. 
they got to let you in there. Uh, fix my life lady knows that much. She can't help you with that, but she can't help you with the rest of it. But you understand what I'm saying? You have to understand this. You know, uh, women are funny. We like attention. And men give it to us freely. They'll give three, four, and five women at one time attention. Oh, yeah. That's why you swear you're the only one. Ah, grow up. Come on, guys. You know, I preach to everybody. I don't do women's meetings, okay? So sometimes it's a woman thing here. And some, But y'all know what I'm trying to explain to you? You ain't really special. He just doing his thing. But, but see, but men have a very high standard. Because while they're giving all y'all attention, they're watching which one of you is going to respond in the way where he knows he needs a woman to be right for him. They do the choosing. Now, it would be nice if they could pray and figure out who was for them and just deal with one at a time, but they don't roll like that. Even the saved ones don't. (laughs) There's some felonious assault brothers out there on on the internet. Man, you you know, you got to watch yourself out there. But all I'm saying to you is that... Men and women have different ways of choosing. And women like attention. So any man who shows us attention, we feel is the one. You know, I mean, we we down at the justice of our peace. Counting how many steps we got to get our dress. (laughs) Online looking for the cake lady, you know, day one. So we got to learn how to stay back and pray. And, and seek God about it. God, is this a person for me? You know, and, and all of that. And let a relationship develop. You know? So let it develop. Don't be so eager to let it develop. But I'm telling you, I don't care how long that man dates you. If you he don't ever see in you what he's looking for, you ain't the one. That's how women get dumped after 12 years. Why am I saying this? Poppy, help me. Am I right? That's right. Amen. Huh? See, they're looking for something they haven't seen yet in you. And see, some of them, they don't mean to be abusers, but they get to the point where they kind of know you're going to be around. And they still haven't seen it. When they see it, they'll open their hearts up to it. And embrace you as their wife. You got me? And it's that, at that point, the ring comes, all the other numbers stop getting called. Huh? They lose interest in everything else. Huh? 
And hopefully you don't have a stalker on your hands. You know what I'm saying? Get the ring and put a GPS on your car. Every time you get something, they just get somewhere, they just showed up before you. You know, we don't want that. It's not love. Okay. You know what I'm saying. But, but you understand how these things work. You know, hopefully this was a blessing to somebody because I'm, I'm praying you understand yourself now. Hopefully you understand. And don't get excited when a man shows some interest in you because that's how they do. Why must I be like that? Why must I chase? Huh? Y'all got it. My right, Poppy. Poppy right. <laughs> yep. That's all it is. Don't, don't get real excited. You know, God will tell you when to get excited, okay? Let's keep it all before God. But, you know, sometimes women wonder how men can have so many children act like they ain't got none. This is wow. Because if it's not what God intended, he won't let their hearts be knit even to those children. Now, if they can, I shouldn't say this, but I will. But if they can be knit to the children without being knit to you, they'll help the children. But if you're a big enough no-no to them, they won't even. Do you understand this? It's hurtful. See, that's why God ordains marriage. Because when you get hurt in a marriage, you get healed instantly. You got a covenant. You have vows. God helps you honor those vows. And he has a vow of healing in that when you forgive one another. Amen? Sometimes things that hurt you when you're dating, once you get married, just, oh, brother, not that again. You know what I'm saying? Get over it, brother. You know, that kind of stuff. And so there is a different grace in a marriage for hurt and healing misunderstandings amen it doesn't have to blow up and end in divorce so that marriage covenant is central to everything that's good in your life when you talk about relationships that's why people run from it so much because it's god ordained and it works and they can't make excuses for not getting along with somebody so abraham and sarah have to get tested over and over again They get tested to see if they're really going to believe God for this son one more 10 years. You know what I'm saying? And so many times things that we desire from God because they take a level of maturity to follow God's will in these things and to manage our lives and all of that stuff. There may be a delay what might seem like you're running out of time. But God will do it right in the nick of time. Sometimes people look at their age. Well, I'm going to get too old to have kids. You probably are now and don't know it. But see if God promised them to you when you get married, they'll show up. You understand what I'm saying? There's all kinds of dynamics of promise and grace and things like that involved when God promises you something. He's not promising you in vain, but any lack in you, he will make up the difference. He will supply what you lack. Always. The Bible says Abraham hoped against hope. There was no hope in the natural for him to have children anymore. Sarah never had hope. 
So he had to hope for both of them against the natural that said it was impossible. But he found a way in God to do it. So if if God demands something of you, he will supply the faith. He will supply the, the energy. He will supply everything you need to accomplish what it is he says he's going to do for you. And so they they because they were tested and Abraham will be tested again. He'd be tested to sacrifice Isaac, the promised son. There are things that God will promise us that, you know, everybody can have faith for a blessing, but not faith for for damaging something that you've been blessed with. And then it work out good. See, faith kind of works in the forward. But reverse, it's hard to reverse it. See, it's, it would be hard for me at this point, now I might say something, you know, so ah, I need to go fall off a cliff or something. But it'd be hard for me to earnestly pray for something bad to happen to somebody because my, my spirit and mind and all that is geared toward, I have more confidence and faith toward the blessing than I do for the curse. You got me? Because I don't live in the curse. I'm a redeemed person. I live. So it's hard to take your faith that once was going forward and reverse it. Just like uh, uh, Elijah prayed earnestly that the rain would stop, bring the drought. Then he had to back it up and pray that the rain would come again. And both those words had come from God. So you have to be confident in God and his voice in order to start things and then back them up again. But we do it all the time. You start out not knowing much about God anyway, and then you start on your forward. He'll do this, he'll do that, he'll do, oh, I found out God will do anything and do everything. And then sometimes we might have to just let that go and say, God, your will be done. You got me? And so we do it, but we always do it with the intent that we are building layer upon layer upon layer of faith for the promises of, of God. Whatever God promises, he wants us to believe him for it. So uh, Jesus often, though, would counsel his disciples about what he referred to as little faith. Now, when you talk about Abraham, you're talking about great faith. You're talking about faith for the impossible. You're talking about faith to reverse aging, to reverse things that happen to your body as a reason, and normal things that happen to everybody who is that old. You're looking for God to make you the exception. Amen? And so that's great faith when you hope against hope. He talks to his disciples from time to time and tells them they have little faith. What does he mean by little faith? We touched on this a little bit yesterday, but I thought I would share more. In Matthew chapter 6, if you go there, in verse 30, Hang on a second. Six, six, six. Maybe it was five. There, I'm always putting these things in wrong somehow. <laughs> okay, let's try eight twenty-six. 
Hope this one ain't wrong. I just need one, Lord. Oh, I was in Mark. Hey, I know what I'm doing. Like I said, Matthew. If I can find Matthew. We'll try Matthew 630. Is that right? Yeah, here we go. It says, wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not do much more for you to clothe you, O ye of little faith? In Matthew eight twenty six, let's see what that one's about. So that one was about what you eat, drink, and wear. In, uh, okay, so Matthew 8, starting in 23, when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said to them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But then the men marveled and said, What kind of man is this? See, even the oceans obey him. Now, this is something when Jesus calls them of little faith, what he means is that it's so little I can't see it. What he really means is you're not even using your faith. When he says little faith, he's talking about uh, whether or not they are exercising their faith into the situation to solve the problem. So little faith means hidden faith. Little faith means dead faith because it's not accompanied by works being alone. Remember the woman with the issue of blood and he said, great is thy faith because she was using it. That's the only difference between little and great and, and uh, faith that moves mountains is that it's being used. When he said, if you have great faith as grain of a mustard seed, you will use it by saying. The way your faith gets from little to big is by use and no other way but by use. So it's not like you're sitting around and I got more faith than uh, uh, than Miss Pat here because it's just my faith and mine is bigger than hers. What God is really saying is your faith is great because you're putting it to use. It is not sitting there doing nothing. So great faith is using faith. Faith, great faith is alive faith. Great faith is faith that's active. I don't care if it's the first time you've ever asked God for something and the first time you've used your faith. Um, I, I remembered that uh, when Tone did that song about, uh, <laughs> which one was it? Yeah, strong faith. He said, remember when you didn't have nothing and you're all excited when God gave you something? Well, that's an example of it. You're broke, flat, and disgusted, and somebody says, God will do that. Let's go pray. Let's take care of that in prayer. And you start using your faith because you were invited to use it. And you put a big smile on your face when he answered your prayer. You understand what I'm saying? Because you have finally stepped out. And it ain't hard. You got me? You can stumble into great faith. 
just be if great faith is faith that takes care of the situation. It's not faith that, that you know, what, what would you consider to be a great thing in God? Somebody getting up out of a wheelchair? Well, it takes the same faith to do that as it does to do anything else to get your bills paid when you start putting it to work. So he rebuked the disciples because they were sitting there letting fear control them and not exercising their faith against the problem. Because he had taught them, if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart. So you can't make a head decision and think you're going to conquer a giant. That faith has to come from your heart. It has to be in there already. And he knew the disciples had stuff in there already because they've been using their faith. But what happens? We think a different situation requires something different because we never met that situation before. When really we are fully equipped to meet every situation that confronts us because the same faith you use to, to pay your bills is the same faith you need to get yourself healed, the same faith you need to uh, make the fire stop coming towards your house if you're out there and there's a brush fire or something like it's the same faith but see what the devil likes to do is paralyze us with fear to extinguish it in matthew let's see matthew 4 Let me see. Hang on. Here we go again. My sleep notes. I don't even blame that on sleep. Let me see. I need the one where, I think this is one where Peter walked on water for a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I forgot. I took the one out. Hang on. There it is. Like I said, Matthew 14. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Shannon. Matthew 14. Hmm. Yeah. Let's see where I want to see. Okay, so so Jesus had told the disciples to meet him over on the other side. Which the words of God have enough faith in them to get us to where we need to get. To get us to obey it. So there was enough faith on his instructions for them to safely make it over to the other side. And so if you follow God's instruction, if he tells you something's going to happen to you, it will happen to you. But the enemy sees 
your progress. And of course, it's his job to try and stop it if he can. So here we have Jesus catching up to the disciples because he needed time to pray. He needed time to plan what he was going to do when he met them over there. And it says in verse 24, it says, The ship was now in the middle of the sea, tossed with waves, and the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's three in the morning, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But right away, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter talking to him said lord if it's you let me to come out there on the water with you jesus said come when peter was come down out of the ship he walked on the water to go to jesus but he saw the wind boisterous and was afraid and beginning to sink he cried lord save me so this is us in the middle of going toward our goal say you you picked out a school you want to go to and You've you've got all your plans and everything, and at the last minute, they say to you, uh, you're short on your tuition money. And you say to yourself, well, I don't know if I can, can overcome this. I don't have any more money. What do I do? If God told you we're going to go to that school, pack your stuff and go. Right. Yes. Amen. Yes. Pack your stuff and go. How do I know if God told you? You won't know that until you pack your stuff and go. Huh? See, we want everything in a nice, tidy little package. God wants you to believe him. He ain't talking tidy. He ain't talking neat. He ain't talking nice. Sometimes to, to show your faith, you got to get ugly. Huh? You got to take off your eyelashes, put on your do-rag. You understand what I'm saying? And get a hump in your back. And just get over there to where God tells you your your blessing is. And so many times people will do what Peter did. First he wanted to walk. And that was the right thing because he did it. See, people look at the fact that he sank. You know why we like that? Because that's what we would do. We would sink and feel sorry for ourselves and say, see, I tried. That faith stuff, it don't work. But see, what Jesus did was he he showed Peter what happened to him. He said, why did you doubt? So he showed Peter, if you hadn't doubted me, you'd still be out here where I am already. So then what, what we do when we see there's a problem getting to what God promised us and we look around us and see that it looks like it won't happen. We drop back in what we asked for. Huh? Before it was God, I'm powerful. I'm just like you. Let me walk and I can get there. Huh? You ever felt like that when God told you something? I can do this. Then the devil shows up and said, booga, booga. Lord, save me. (laughs) See? We settle for plan B when God had us in plan A already. See, you were closer to that promise than you think you were. Because Peter was. 
This is like us. When we ask anything of God, we're closer to that promise than we think we are. And then the devil pops up and says, no, I can get them to quit. I can get them to stop. So he does something, ruffles up the natural and gets you to look at that. That's why it's good to stay in your prayer closet. That's why it's good to stay around believers who can encourage you. That's why it's wrong to go around people who are doubtful, people who are critical, people who don't have love in them, people who don't understand God. You get around the wrong bunch of people and you'll begin to sink just like Peter did. Huh? Because the devil puts them in your life to sink you. Some people we still go around, they ain't never brought us nothing good in our lives. Huh? And we still trying to love them. Still trying to hang on. No, God will find you a group of people who can encourage you and keep you from sinking, can help you to walk on water. When they see you getting weak and trying to quit, they'll tell you, no, don't do that. Come on, let's go a little bit further because I know God has got this for you. You've been at this too long. You can't quit now. Huh? Nothing to quit for. But I'm telling you, fear can suck the faith right out of you. Just like it did Peter. Don't think your faith is so great you won't get, you know, you look at other people and see how they make their mistakes. Then we all get critical. We, we, look at them. I don't see how people could do that. Really? You might be staring down the barrel of that same gun yourself in a day or two. You know, you never know. So it's best to keep your eyes focused on what God has for you. God, help my faith. Help me not to sink. Tell me how to spend my days and my mornings so that my faith will always be there. So I can use my faith for you. I don't want to have dead faith sitting in my pocket, not doing nothing, waiting for me to, you know, what you're holding on to it for. Go ahead and pull the trigger and see if God's out there. Huh? I tell you, when it comes to using your faith, God will never penalize you for that. There's no such thing as a wrong thing to do in faith. He'll kind of make all of them work, if you know what I mean. Huh? Long as you out there doing something that makes it look like you're working for him, he will. He'll cause it to work for you. Look at Jesus getting people healed, spitting on, on dirt and making in mud pies. Huh? And all the religious people get upset and start throwing up. I don't believe he did that. Well, that's your problem. You ain't a believer. Huh? That's why you don't get people healed. See, there's a lot of things that we think God's not in that he's in. But he'd rather see you out there looking foolish than to keep your faith in your pocket and not use it or get in the middle of something and almost get to the finish line and let fear suck it out of you. Start looking around and before you know it, he's full of fear to sucked all the faith out of him. He starts sinking. So he has to change his request. Don't let fear make you change your request. You know, people say things like, well, I don't know how you think you're going to get that from God. I don't know who you think you are. Yeah, no, just stay on where you at. Keep, keep on that road. 
See? You can almost bank on it. The devil will come, come to you at some point offering you an alternative for the desire of your heart. And what are you going to do with it? If it's not in your heart to have it, you're not going to want it anyway when he gets here. When Peter said, Lord, save me, he, he was embarrassed. He flunked in front of everybody else that he's supposed to be out there impressing. And it didn't help his faith any to have to go back to square one and start over again. Some things that, that God gives you are once in a lifetime opportunities to use your faith. They're not everyday challenges and everyday trials. Sometimes you'll get in situations where, and you'll know if you didn't follow through on what God told you to do, you know it because you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You think, man, I missed my opportunity to help somebody or pray for somebody or something like that. And so don't let fear suck the life out of you. Stay away from fearful people. Stay away from negative people. Stay away from people with bad energy. <laughs> See, everybody talk about energy. Bad energy. You know, stay away from them people. When you're going to do great things for God, you, you can't let people with their comments, well, I don't think it'll work. I ask you what you think. We Do we have any think paychecks around here to give to me? I didn't think so. Huh? I ask you what you think. Huh? It's true. Amen. Hopefully this one works. Turn to Luke 17. I hope this is in the, in the plan. Whatever. 17. Oh, that's five. Yeah, Luke 17, 5. The apostle said to him, Lord, increase our faith. This is the story about the mustard seed. If you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, in order your faith, in other words, your faith is a seed that starts out small. That's what he's saying. He says, your faith, you need to treat it like a seed. And don't leave it just lying around doing nothing. You have to plant it. And he said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to the sycamine tree, be you plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So your faith is first put into action by saying. Huh? You give a command to your seed of faith. You put the word in it. The word is always the command. It's what you want to see come to pass. And so you pull the trigger on that by saying. Problem with that is that many people change what they say about the situation. And there comes the devil with some negative, some bad, uh, bad, bad what did I call it? Energy, bad energy. It's bad energy, people. Come around, tell you can't have it. Or the devil speaks to your mind. And you start telling yourself you can't have it. Amen? And so what happens is you start to change how you feel about what you desire from God. And little by little, the enemy is able to erode your faith. And make it inactive again. Because what happens when you lose heart. And you don't think you can have something that you dearly desire. You start feeling sorry for yourself. You stop confessing. 
you stop desiring. Why? All because the devil has put some bad energy in your situation. Huh? Somebody come up with some negative. You know, people in the world got more sense than we do sometimes. We get around the saints and all we want to do sometimes is complain and get attention because of what's something wrong in our life. and You know, instead of going in there filled up with joy and positive energy. Huh? Good energy. The fruit of the spirit. That's your good energy. And instead of going in expecting and letting God build up what you have, because see, you sitting here on Sunday and God is looking on Wednesday, the devil got the biggie planned for you. So what he does is he he makes provision for you on Sunday for the rest of the week. Huh? You know, if we come in ready to receive and ready to listen and ready to hear and understand that this is essential for life. We get more out of our faith. We be further along in what we need from God. Don't have any needs really. We'd be able to get better plans from God. Anything, anything you can do, he can do better. You understand what I'm saying? You can't outdo him. You know, now I know everybody is. I'm not trying to make nobody feel small. I know you're capable. You got your job. You got your home. You got your, how'd you get it? You ever wonder who it really belongs to? Huh? You realize that when you leave here, you can't take it with you? So that proves it ain't y'all. Huh? It's on loan. Well, God's trying to help us to learn how to hold on to what he's given us. That's why you have to meet regularly as a body of believers. That's why the Bible tells you not to forsake assembling yourself together with a, I ain't going to that church. That lady, she just mean. You ain't seen nothing yet. You get out there and start duking it out with the devil one-on-one. You don't know me. <laughs> You'll be running out. Man, when they said, let's go in the house of the Lord. Huh? I love them saints. Sisters, and then you start testifying. Sister so-and-so put $50 in my hand one time. I came in church crying. I didn't have no money for my food. See, it'll make you remember the good times. Huh? But that's why God forbids that we be lone rangers out here in the world. Amen. We need each other. You need each other more, the Bible says, as the end of time approaches. You'd be glad to see them saints. Huh? Sister Prickly Pear that don't never have nothing good to say about nobody and hug you with a thumb and a forefinger, you know. Oh, hi, girl. How you doing? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, makeup kiss. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. Okay, yeah, that's her. You love her too, huh? Why? Because you understand something about life now. Your faith get tested and you get to the wire and you think you ain't going to make it. Now, some people that don't like fasting, oh, that's going to be your best friend at some point. You understand what I'm saying? You ain't had a hamburger in a month. 
I'm telling you, I've been like that. Some of these things hit trials hit you and you can't get an answer right away and you got to stay closed in with God so he can talk to you. You know, food is the last thing on your mind. And so you'll understand, folks, how important it is to safeguard your faith, protect your faith. Don't let people speak into your life that they always want to tell you what to do and you can't do this. And, you know, they so concerned about you. No, God takes care of me. Amen. I love you and I know you want to help, but God takes care of me. And listen to the Lord. Let him help you keep your faith preserved and use your faith and live by faith every day because that's going to be your greatest asset, folks, is your faith. Amen. That's why you got faith. Amen. Father, thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to know what it is that you want us to do. We do these things by faith. Thank you, Lord, for your faith, which is there for us to help us in every situation. We love you, Lord, and we honor you, and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen, and praise God. If anybody needs prayer, I will pray for you. I will pray for you. Praise God. That thing that causes you to hang on when everything around you and everything in your mind tells you to let go. Faith is that trust in me that must be developed if you're going to fit in in my kingdom and you're going to see the things that I have promised you come to pass in your life. Faith is the key that unlocks the mystery of what it is that you're put here on the earth for. You must have faith in me, says the Lord. You must have confidence in me and you must trust me that when you step out and you see nothing, I tell you to take another step. You must do it, says the Spirit. Faith is not seen, says the Lord, and I'm not going to let you see it, says the Lord. Faith is something that will keep you in times that are good and in times that are bad. Faith is that spiritual substance that I use to make everything in your life work right to make everything in your life beautiful to make everything in your life precious to make everything in your life wealthy says the spirit of god and to make everything in your life whole so cultivate your faith says the lord this is not just for you to come and i'm taking attendance and i check you off for the day but i want you to invest your faith in just sitting and listening Mix what you hear with your faith and you will be prepared to make meet every obstacle and every challenge that this world would bring to you, says the Spirit of the living God. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for giving us a word of encouragement, of exhortation, a word of understanding. We thank you, Lord, that we use your faith and it will never fail us. Help us to understand how to use it more and more. And we love you and honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name.